Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green, and I'm your host. It's Monday, March the 8th, 2021, and this is the daily edition of the Faith Seeking Understanding podcast. We're <clears throat> dealing with the lessons that are given for us today, um, and that would be Jeremiah 7, 1 to 15, John 7, 14 to 36, and Romans 4, 1 to 12. And you can find those lessons, the links to those lessons on BibleGateway.com in the description of the podcast today. So we've got, continuing with Jeremiah, we've got Jeremiah now being told to go and stand in the gate of the Lord's house at the temple and proclaim, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I'll let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And so there can be a temptation. There's a, certainly a temptation here as, as we get the context of this lesson. The, temp, the, the temptation has become real and true and that, that they're serving other gods, but they continue to hedge their bets by practicing the worship that had been given to their forefathers. So they continue to do the sacrifices and do all those things, but why are they doing those things? They're doing those things to make sure God stays appeased. They're treating him in a way that's embarrassing if you think about what they're doing. Um, if you think, well, we'll give, it's it's sort of like, you know, that you've gone out and committed adultery and your wife found out about it and you decided, you know what I can do? I can like send her some roses and it'll be okay. She'll be fine. That's exactly the idea behind this. This isn't, it isn't that you did something stupid and you sent roses. No, this is like you went out and committed adultery and have been doing so for quite some time and, continue, and, and intend to continue to keep doing it and send your wife roses. Uh, it's, it's that offensive. This is a personal relationship with a living God. And you think that just because you do the stuff he told you to do as far as the sacrifices are concerned, then everything will be cool. Everything will be fine. He won't get too upset about all the other stuff you're doing. And the reason you're doing the other stuff is because of avarice and greed. The reason for all those other kinds of worship is so that you'll be prospered. Well, God promised him prosperity. But he promised him prosperity on his terms. Remember what he said was they had to take off every Sunday or yeah every Sunday and or Saturday sorry and then they had to let the land lie fallow one year out of every seven and then every 50 years they had to take that year off too even if it fell right behind the other one so it's they've not done those things and they've sought after these other gods in order they might increase their prosperity and give them more and more and more um, and then they thought to make up for that on the backside by giving more and more and more to God they're buying him off, and they think they can keep him at bay as far as his judgment's concerned by doing these things. And so they're hedging their bets in several different places. They could be running a hedge fund here. <clears throat> the, the issue that, that Jeremiah is laying before him is, is that you're trusting in those things to stay in the land that God gave you. You're trusting the things you do at the temple, and you're trusting that the existence of the temple of God is your pledge and promise that things are going to keep going well. And what God's telling them is you're wrong to believe that. He's calling them to amend their ways. Execute justice with one another. Don't oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I'll let you dwell in this place, the land I gave to your fathers 
forever. And then he goes on through the whole thing, and he, he lists things like steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods. Does that sound like a familiar list? It should sound like the commandments. It should sound like the very first things God said to the people. And he's telling them, you've got to come away from that because I'm not going to allow this to continue. This is going to end. And he said, if you want to know and you want to believe that, go to Shiloh, where your brothers, the, uh, the other tribes were, the tribes that are called Israel there. <clears throat> go there and see if you can find the temple they had. Nope, I destroyed that too, and I'll do the same thing here. Which is exactly what happens, and then it has to be rebuilt in the time of Nehemiah, Ezra, and Zechariah. And so God's promising them, I'm going to do the same thing to you. You're no better than them. Coming and giving me offerings and doing this worship thing while you do all that other stuff is not okay. All that other stuff matters as much or more than any of the things you do here in the temple. And, you know, we got to own that, right? We've got to realize that, that church isn't an obligation that, that appeases the Lord for everything else we do and say during the week. That's not how it works. And that's exactly what God's saying here. He says, you know, you've turned this into a den of robbers. Is the words that's, that's used through Jeremiah here and then also through Jesus. You turned it into a marketplace. And certainly I've seen that a million different times. A lot of business conducted at the church. Not that it's always wrong, but I've seen people go to church and, and become members of certain churches just for that reason. And then the church can do the same thing. We can be about the money. We can be about it in a multitude of ways. And so we've got to be concerned and we've got to be careful that, that we are actually there to worship Him. And if we are, it'll change the character of our worship, to be honest with you. That, that's the thing that'll make all the difference in the world. And so hear those words. And if, if we need to own them, then let's own them. But, but yeah, we can do the same exact thing and be chastised by God. And the, the promise there is awful. I'll take this away from you. And that's exactly, remember what Jesus said is tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And he also says, don't swear by the temple. Don't, don't put your trust in the temple. No, that's not what to do. So here, remember he went up to the feast later and he went up quietly so that nobody knew that he was there after his brothers were there. And this is the Feast of Booths. And so it's, it's the time of trust in a lot of ways. That's the theme probably would be best for the Festival of Booths would be the uh, time of trust because it's showing that, that they could trust God in the wilderness. Their, their forefathers did. And so it's a radical dependence on God for everything. And, and at, here we are in the middle of the feast. Jesus comes up and he goes to the temple and he begins to teach there. And they don't like that. <laughs> they never liked it when Jesus was teaching there. And so he comes up and he begins to teach. And the people are there and they're questioning one thing. How is it that he, this man has learning when he's never studied? And what they mean by that is, is that we know who went to the great rabbinic schools and he wasn't one of them. He was never here in Jerusalem. He's not under Gamaliel. He's not under anybody. Who, where did he get this learning? Because we don't know who his teacher was, and that's radically important. If you're teaching, then what you do, the way you teach um, then and now, is you cite your sources. You cite your rabbi. Now, you can riff on the rabbi's teaching, but you've got to point back to the source. It's sort of footnoting in real time and in oral tradition. So you... you reach back and you say, I learned this from Rabbi so-and-so. And if you listen to um, 
rabbinic teachers today, you'll hear them do the same thing. They're going to refer to a variety of different sources. It may not have been the rabbi who specifically taught them, but, but it's going to be a rabbinic teaching, and they're going to refer back to that on a regular basis. They're going to refer to that more often in some ways than they're going to refer to the Bible. And so that's the way that you teach in Judaism and the way you always have taught in Judaism, and that's the thing. Jesus never appeals to his rabbi. He never appeals to the person who taught them. Taught him, I mean. And so what he says is, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So he's given this oblique reference to his rabbi. The one who sent him is the one to do it. And he says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he kn- he'll know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority, because that was the thing you didn't do. You didn't speak on your own authority. That's the reason you point back to your rabbi is because you can't speak on your own authority. It's got to have sort of the way we talk about it in the Anglican world is it's apostolic succession. And that is you point back to who um, laid hands on you and then further and further and further back. And here Jesus is saying this. He, he can't speak on his own authority. That's not what he's doing. It's not what he's claiming to do. And that that's that would be, you, you just turn away, frankly, is what you would do from that teacher who speaks only on his own authority. And so he says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. He seeks to step out on his own and become the, the person that everybody wants to be. You know, he, he is the teacher par excellence. And so uh, Jesus says, no, what I'm doing, I'm seeking the glory of him who sent me. And in him there's no falsehood. And then he kind of lays it down, right? He says, hadn't Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps it? Keeping the law was important. Not just knowing the law, keeping the law was important. And then he throws this wicked curveball. Why do you seek to kill me? And their answer was, huh? You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? And they're trying to distance themselves and deny it, and they may not be aware that the leaders actually did want to kill him. And so he then begins to ask a question that has to do, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. And then what he's alluding to here is the man that he healed on the Sabbath, the man that he told to take up his bed and walk. And so they were fussing at him, and they were really upset at him because he did this work on the Sabbath. And he says, you circumcise on the Sabbath, right? According to Moses' law, you can do that. Well, I made a whole man's whole body well on the Sabbath, so what's your problem with that? <clears throat> and then it kind of got the people confused a little bit. And so they began to ask he tells them the most important thing, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. That again, it goes back to Samuel, and it goes back to when he goes to anoint one of the sons of David to be the next king of Israel. And, and so he's, he's saying, stop looking at things through your natural eyes. Look at those things through your spiritual eyes. Pray through these things. See them through the eyes of God, and you'll see this stuff. And so then becomes, there's this dispute among the peoples. Is, is it, isn't this the man they want to kill? Could it be that they're not doing that because they actually know that he's the Christ? But but we're confused because we know where he comes from, and when Christ appears, we're not going to know where he's coming from. And they've already proven that they don't know where he comes from because they think he comes from Galilee. But he was born in Bethlehem, and they don't seem to be aware of that. And Jesus doesn't seem to be in any particular pains to tell them that. There's things that they could have known on their own because those stories were out there and they didn't bother to do that. They're judging by appearances when they keep doing this. This whole conversation there it has to do with appearances because we're trying to, we've got a little uh, set of tick marks we need to put down here and make sure before we can realize this. And he's saying, no, don't look at the tick marks. Look at, look at reality. Look at what's going on here. 
And so they, they go back and forth and back and forth. And then they decided, okay, now they're going to try and arrest him. But many of the people believed in him because they're saying, would the guy who, when the Christ comes, is he going to do more stuff than this guy does? And then Jesus says, I'm only going to be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to go to him who sent me. You'll seek me out, and you won't find me. And where I'm going, you can't come. And that confuses them utterly because here we are again, back to Jesus alluding to spiritual things, and they're completely confused in the same way the disciples have been already and in the same way that Nicodemus was confused. They said, does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Is he going to go somewhere and maybe teach um, where the, the dispersion refers to the, um, to the lost tribes that they have dispersed among the world? And so is he going to go teach the Greeks and hope that some of those people you know, come back or whatever? They don't know what he's talking about. And it's because they're not thinking spiritually. They're thinking um, in, a, in a carnal way. They're trying to measure things in a more carnal way, and that's the issue. And so it's the same thing that Jeremiah is accusing the people there of. You're, you're living carnal lives, and you're not judging things in a spiritual way. You're misjudging everything because of that. And then that's where Paul comes in in that Romans lesson, and he, he's just trying to teach them that, that you get saved by faith. And that's it. You know, We'll talk a little bit more tomorrow about the solas of the Reformation, the, the only through faith alone and Christ alone, grace alone. Um, but that's what this is getting at, is, is Paul's making a, a great point and saying, look, you know, they're, they're, nobody is saved by their works because everybody's works are incomplete and they're flawed, they're sinful and all that kind of stuff. But the, what saves anybody is faith. And, and he proves that by pointing back to Abraham when, when it says that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And the faith, he says, was before the sign, the circumcision. And so it's faith, not circumcision, that saves and that's counted to you as righteousness. So it's faith. And he's saying, but, but there's a different faith now. It, but it's all based on faith, and it always has been based on faith, whether for the Jew or the Greek. It's, it's, it was faith that God would do as he promised in the, in the um, way of Abraham. And now it's faith in what God's done in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so we put our faith in that, in, in what we've seen in some ways, um, and, and we believe that because Jesus has passed through these things that his blood atones for our sin and that then his resurrection is our resurrection and his righteousness is our righteousness and that's the righteousness that brings us into life new life here and then life later as well. He said circumcision is a, is a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised. I like that. I like that idea a lot. So it just, it's, it, it just seals up what was already done in faith. And now there's a sign. Um, and that sign is the circumcision. And then he says, the, this is the important part, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness could be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our forefather Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so this, walk, this faith and the walking in the footsteps of faith that Abraham had are the things that save. And that goes back to that Jeremiah lesson. He says, you got it all wrong. You're believing in the temple and the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff to save you, and it's not going to do it.
in our day, that stuff won't do it either because ultimately it comes down to your faith in Jesus, period, end of sentence. You can do all the works in the world. You can do them in faith, but it's never the works that save you. It's always the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's the only thing we have to cling to as our hope of eternal life.